Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dennis Podman, uh, a mostly Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ferrigan, um, and today I am joined by a man who has informed me that he has a lot of Bulls thoughts to get off his chest. Um, I have been too depressed to talk about the Bulls, really, hence why there have not been any episodes of uh, this show for the vast majority of the first half of this Bulls season. Um, but uh, jo- John's got some stuff pent up. I also got some of my thoughts off uh, on the most recent episode of Cash Considerations. If you listen to this podcast, but somehow don't listen to that one, um, I'd be surprised. But uh, <laughs> uh, go check that one out as well. Um, but the man joining me today is John Wilms. Hi, John. Hey, man. Hey, I, I haven't talked about the Bulls really in any uh recorded audio capacity since you and I talked about them preseason during the preseason. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I, you I were, my... you were cautiously optimistic uh, about the bulls or, or you thought just... realistic, but yeah, no, I still, I think that, I don't know. I don't think I was actually all that wrong. I mean, we can get into the, uh... Oh gosh, all the clutch losses and the last two minute losses and all that stuff. But you know, it's based, it's a 17 and 21 team, so you can't say that they're 500, but you can kind of say they've, they're They've played a like a 500 team. team. They just uh, have had some yes. uh, bad officiating late uh, and some unlucky bounces uh, beyond that. Um, you know, yeah. you'd think that that would the, stuff would start to even out, but it really mostly hasn't. It hasn't. No, it hasn't. <laughs> uh, I think the, the results are only a little off from my expectations, it's more the characteristic of the experience um, that I was not prepared for. And that I don't think anybody <laughs> is prepared for. It's been a completely psychotic season. Um, <laughs> they have a losing record against teams that are worse than them and a winning record against teams that are better than them. Uh, I just don't, I just don't think I remember the bulls or any team really being like that. Uh, we, we were talking about it last night and it's like that, annoying friend that we've all had before who who before they decide to grace you with their awesomeness at a certain <laughs> get together or a party will ask who all's there yes that's what the bulls are like um they they just sort of decide whether there's enough clout on hand for them to play the correct way and look kind of like a pretty decent like playoff team sometimes um but then you know on the other end of it, there's just com- a complete lack of professionalism in so many of these games and a yeah. complete lack of, of spirit or effort. And, you know, I sound like Jim, Jim Boylan when I say that, but he's every, every Bulls fan and analyst has sounded like Jim Boylan when they talk about this team, um, including Billy Donovan at times has sounded Boylan-esque. And it's just, and it, that's just what it's like. They, it's a team with a, a weird spiritual sickness, honestly. Yeah, it's, part of you know i mentioned it in the in the intro there but part of the reason i haven't had sort of uh bandwidth i guess to to really get on here and talk about them is one i feel like i'd be repeating myself a lot um yes if we're talking about the basketball issue specifically it's it's such repetitive stuff yeah um but like the, to your point, like the the chaotic quality of of the team, uh, the fact that they seemingly uh, can only 
get up and get motivated for, you know, the sort of glamour teams that they're, you know, playing against. And then when they play teams that they deem beneath them, they just, they don't bring the effort. And it's like, you know, they are not that talented of a team that they can afford to do that. Um, And frankly, nobody in the NBA really is at this point. Like the, um, there was a tweet. I retweeted it. Uh, I think the Twitter users, I think his actual name is Connor, but I forget his, uh, his at. So he'll have to forgive me, but he tweeted basically that the bulls uh, strategy of only beating good teams and losing to, to bad teams is, is going to lead to a negative record because, um, there are more bad teams than good teams this year. And right. it's funny, but like, I also think that it's not, it's not totally that there are more bad teams. I just think that there's a lot of like, there's a lot, a lot of differentiation. The, the talent spread in the league is um, lower than it's been in a long time. I mean, people have talked about like that there's parody and all, all of these things. And the, you know, the result of that, especially if you're one of those teams that's in that great big, middle morass like the bulls are is that you got to play hard every night like even if you you're playing a team that you think stinks like the houston rockets like those guys are nba players too like they get they get checks too like i think that's like the the famous uh, charles barkley quote is like those guys those guys are nba players too like nobody is uh so bereft that you can just write them off um and i think that's been the 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 thing with this team, especially because, you know, Contra last year where they seemingly couldn't beat any of the good teams this year, they seem to only beat the good teams, but the fact that they can play that well um, against the the best teams keeps you sort of in this, um, I don't know, liminal space of, of, is the next, you know, run or winning streak around the corner? Because if they just play like that for, you know, five or six games in a row, they're, they'll be back to 500 and, you know, be on their way. And, but like, they just can't do it. They can't sustain it for longer than, you know, a two or three game stretch, you know, particularly if they're playing good teams where they like deign to, to try hard. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a very frustrating, um, experience, uh, as a fan. And also just like, I don't know. I mean, I I think there's probably nothing more, uh, frustrating from a, a fan perspective than knowing somebody is capable of something that you're rooting for. Um, and them seemingly having some sort of mental block uh, that prevents them from doing it more consistently, um, which is like, I feel like what, when I explain it that way, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm talking both about the bulls and macro and then Patrick Williams and micro. <laughs> because, oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was fantastic last night against the, the nets. Um, you know, part of that was he was making shots and he, you know, everybody always looks better when there are shots going in, but like, that was probably the, uh, considering the competition, like the nets are very good this year. Um, they were on a 12 game winning streak. They have like one of, if not the best defenses in the league, depending on which metric you look at or, you know, how much, how you're adjusting for, uh, opponent quality or whatever. Um, 
and he put up 22 points, seven rebounds, a couple of assists. Like he played well. Um, and he, you know, he, that's in there, but it just, it comes out so infrequently. It's like the same kind of thing as with the Bulls where you see the, the, the highs and the, the talent, you know, when they play the right way, as he said, it, it can kind of all mesh together. Um, but then uh, most of the other times it feels like they just come out and they're not, they're not uh, on top of things the way they need to be. Yeah. And something I, I said in, in our text exchanges yesterday, which I think is true is that it's not just about like, Oh, they just didn't have the right mindset tonight. It's not, it's not exclusively about that. It does take a lot of effort to overcome the lack of, of a true point guard. The only true point guard on the roster is Goran Dragic, who is old and can't play that many minutes effectively. Um, So it just kind of requires everybody to have a a kind of a point guard mindset and to pass as a team and to just really everybody takes care of everybody kind of stuff. And that's just nobody on the team is actually super experienced that or suited to do that. So it is a real weakness to overcome consistently. I think what I said was it's sort of like a final exam level of mental exertion every time they do it. And it's just, it's not super realistic to expect them to do that every game. Um, Yeah. More often than not, it's just going to, that's going to be a true weakness. And that's just kind of the way it is. One thing I want to mention, there's so much talk from the national media, which is almost completely detached from the local and real situation with the bulls. Um, about blowing it up, are they going to make a big trade or whatever? There's absolutely no indication that that's going to be happening. Uh, and you know, from a pers- perspective of ownership, this is actually going really well. Um, they <laughs> the tickets cost way more than they used to. Like I went and saw the Bucks in Milwaukee. That's a much better team than the Bulls, right? Right. Way cheaper ticket. Way cheaper tickets. Uh, I'm looking at Bulls ticket prices all the time. They're really expensive. They're selling every game. And if you talk to normal people who are not like us, who are listening to 100 NBA podcasts and (laughs) watching the game super analytically, they're having a a pretty good time with this team. Um, They have certain frustrations with them, but, you know, they don't want to watch a developmental situation, right? Like I had a friend who's never really been a Bulls fan. His wife has kind of gotten more into it. But he's also gotten more into it because historically he's a Bears fan and they're in a developmental situation right now, right. which is what nas- national analysts and like more nerdy, super analytical, overly tuned in Bulls fans sometimes say they want for this team. This is not what most people want. It's not what normal people want. And that's not what's going to be good for business. So it's just it really just is not going to happen. Um, I don't expect the chatter about it to stop. Um, no, and we can we can play hypotheticals and have our little parlor games. But again, there's absolutely no reporting coming from the Bulls that there's any kind of discussion about moving any of their major players. Yeah, I mean, I think that the only the only thing I think you might see, like as a you might see some tweaks on the margins, but like I think that my expectation would be that Demar, Zach. Uh, Caruso, Lonzo's not going anywhere because his contract is huge and he can't walk. <laughs> it's like, uh, but th- those guys, I would expect to all 
be here past the trade deadline. The only one that I could really, the only ones that I could really see potentially moving um, are Vucevic and maybe Kobe, just because they're both expiring contracts and um, they might want to just shake up the roster a little bit. Because I think one of the things that you were talking about with respect to the Bulls having to play with like a final exam level of mental exertion um, is it's not just on the offensive side of the ball, right? Is like they defensively, their rotations to play the defense that they have to play um, because of their personnel, their rotations have to be perfect, right? Cause like Vucevic, we've talked about this is not a mistake eraser. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about how most centers are not that, uh, but like the fact that he is not like a really springy guy around the basket and um, it just, you, you don't really want to play him around the basket as a defensive player because it's not his strong suit. Like his strong suit is moving his feet. Um, ironically, given like what people generally think of big European centers, uh, but he moves his feet very well uh, and he has good hands on the perimeter. So that's why they play him up at the level. Uh, and that means they got to have their rotations, you know, really on point behind uh, behind him, um, behind the the sort of ball screen and and everything else that's that's happening. Because that's generally what teams do to the Bulls. They run a lot of uh, pick and roll, a lot of ball screens, and uh, get get the Bulls into rotation, and then uh, wait for the breakdown to happen, which happens a lot because. They have two guys in Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan who have never been particularly good team defenders. Um, and then you have two young players in Iota Sumu and um, Patrick Williams who are like pretty good uh, player defensive players this year, but still like they're both very young. And, you know, I would say they're both effectively second year players uh, because Pat lost almost all of last year. Um, and so, you know, you're just going to have a lot of rotational breakdowns with, uh, that cast of characters and to have somebody like Vooch who real, if you want to use him in a way that's not going to, you know, make him look terrible, um, you got to bring him up at the level, but then your rotation's got to be perfect. And the, the, the thing is too, is if you played Vooch in a drop and put him at the, at the, um, at the rim, it's not like that would like magically solve. Uh, oh no, the fact that'd that, be worse. It's yeah, worse. because um, because the the point of attack defense from Zach and uh, Demar is also poor. So like they're not good on the ball or off the ball defensively. Zach's a little bit better on the ball, um, and Demar's okay as like a post defender sometimes because he's fairly strong. Uh, but like overall, like you know, if you got if, if guards are just like getting a ball screen and trying to to go at them um you know having vooch have an nba guard come barreling down at him uh, at speed towards the rim is just you know it's putting him in an even worse situation so their defensive personnel like it doesn't really fit to have a good defense without a extremely high level of exertion um and uh rotations and and, you know, deflections, which is really, you know, when their defense was looking better earlier in the year, that was sort of how they were thriving was uh, Caruso and uh, Javante Green off the bench, just getting like a million steals or deflections or just being disruptive uh, while, you know, nailing their rotations. But like the starting unit is just really, and this is part of the reason I think they, they give up a lot of three pointers in the first quarter of most games 
um, and even in just in the first half in general, is that they they get into rotation and teams just whip the ball around and then they're getting like you know practice shots. Uh, and so like for them for their team to to function, um, they have to really be on it on both ends of the court uh, mentally. And to your point, that is difficult um, to do just for anybody, but also like for their two guys that they've cast their lot in with uh, in in Zach and Damar neither of those guys uh especially defensively I would say uh processes the game intuitively um I think Zach uh, I think they've both become better playmakers and read the game better than they used to um but I still think it's uh not their it doesn't come easy to them uh right. and so well this is with, that's the with problem the Vooch I think, thing with the roster well, the Vooch thing with me, it's like, that's why I would not want to get rid of him because he's one of the only guys on the team who does make quick reads and get rid of the ball quickly and just understand and play the game intuitively. He's yeah. he's, he's working with what he's got, right? He's not super fast. Most people that size aren't. Um, yeah. And obviously there's limitations that come with that, but I have a hard time getting really worked up or upset about a guy who's head is in the right place and is doing everything he can do. I I get more upset with people who have all this athleticism and all this physical capability and they can't get their head right. That drives yeah. me nuts. I think and, so just to, but, to jump in, I, when I was talking about Vooch, I wasn't trying to, to necessarily put the blame on him. I think it's just no, of a, course not. A, a fit. Cause I think Vooch has honestly been pretty like, pretty good this year i think he's been like he's had a good season yeah i think he's like been a top 50 player in the league probably um i like i don't think that's like honestly um um, but uh i just think that it's it's not even like a vooch is bad we should get rid of him thing it's it's more a like hey if if we had somebody like Jakob pertl is a name that has been thrown out as somebody that the bulls were uh rumored to be interested in last year um yeah you have more margin for error um, and don't have to play this heavy rotational scheme um, defensively to prevent things from happening at the basket. The uh, offense gets so much worse though. And the offense is worse than the defense. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I think the idea um, and you know, I, this might be a bad idea. I don't know, but I think the idea would be that if you are moving on from Vooch, um, then you and you especially for somebody like a, a purtle um you would open up shots for pat and i think pat has shown that if you give him the ball and let him cook a little bit more instead of just sticking him in the corner uh spotting up for threes he has a little bit more juice but he doesn't really show it very much because he's low in the hierarchy and i like some of that is just like pat needs to just get over that and you know take his opportunities uh you know, kind of grab them by the throat a little bit more. But I think that that's kind of like the theory of it. Um, yeah. To, to me though, that's, it's kind of a flawed theory just because Vooch isn't preventing Patrick Williams from taking shots. Damar is. Damar is the one with the extreme usage who dribbles the hell out of the ball. My, I think largely unpopular position is that if I were to move on from anybody on this team, it, it would be Damar. I, I think that the, the limits of, what you can do with him are ill-considered. It's actually something that everybody said when they signed him and they're like, Oh, this is a bad contract. Obviously it wasn't a bad contract. He's 
underpaid for the value that he offers. But, you know, people kind of forgot their original criticism, which is, can you really win with somebody who's that heavy on long twos? And I think the answer is uh, no, a lot of the time, (laughs) like they lose the three point volume game pretty much every game. And that's often why they lose the game. Yeah. So I, I, and it's, I just don't like guys who dribble that much and don't get off the ball quickly. So yeah, that, that is it's a, a killer to me. Yeah. I think some of that is, uh, some of that I think is aesthetic preference. Cause I think that, um, I think DeMar is extremely efficient in his isolations. And I think he does create a lot of, um, there was a, a synergy sports. I follow one of their guys. They have like some metric that they have that like measures uh, in a like adjusted plus minus sort of way. Like, uh, the impact on shot quality uh, that guys have while they're on the floor. Um, and I think DeMar was like top 10 in like improving his teammates shot quality. But like, again, to the the point about the roster construction being flawed um, is they don't have like, sh- like even if DeMar, um, you know, draws defensive attention and he kicks it out, they don't have like great knockdown shooters uh available because <laughs> like pat is not a knockdown catch and shoot guy like he shoots a high percentage but he doesn't want to shoot those shots he wants to dribble he wants to touch the ball um and so like i don't even think that it's a it's necessarily a damar thing because like I, I like even last year when we had um when we had lonzo they had an outlet for when teams um you know double damar he can he has that outlet to give it to Lonzo either for a three or for Lonzo to figure out quickly who's the who's the guy that's open now that Demar has uh, been doubled. Um, and so, like, I do think he dribbles too much. Uh, I also think that, um, like, to the point that we were talking about earlier in terms of like the Bulls having to be mentally locked in. Um, I don't think that they run their offense enough, um, which is, you know, it's on the players obviously, but I think also like, you know, getting buy-in is part of the coach's job. And I just, it doesn't seem like, uh, for whatever reason that they're buying into running, um, more con, you know, continuity, more, um, more actions that aren't just like clear out a side and let Demar cook until something else happens. Um, and so I just, I find the, I just think a lot of it is just like this roster doesn't make sense without Lonzo. And I think that they, they built a roster that is fairly fragile. <laughs> uh, if yeah, Lonzo means this much. And I think it's tough yeah. to have gone in, and spent as much, you know, draft capital and, you know, draft picks are, you know, we joked uh, before last season that draft picks are fake, who cares? But like the, the draft picks are useful in making other trades to improve your team. So you do have to be judicious about like, yeah, it's one thing to not want to use them because you'd rather just have, you know, veteran players who are good now because you don't want to do the rebuild thing because you don't want to be, you know, the Orlando magic for a decade or, um, you know, the thunder of the last few years. And that's fine. I mean, I, I was all for trying to to be a better team and to, I was kind of done with, you know, continually trying to draft these guys and then 
watch them sputter because the Bulls don't know how to develop talent really. <laughs> you know, like they also just, just they didn't take they didn't take very good players. That's, that's no, I mean, they didn't, and they didn't, and they weren't bad enough. They didn't, they didn't have any top three or four picks. It was always picking. Seven yeah. Or eight. Well, there was also like uh, in every one of those drafts. though, there was like a guy beh- that was drafted after the guy that they took. That was like, Oh, that was the guy. Like they could have had Shay. They could have had, you can play that game with every team every year. Well, no, I know, but I'm just saying you have to get like one of those, right. During your tank. Right. right? If you're <laughs> um, one of those things has to go right. And yeah. they just kept missing on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can think, you can play that game in any given year. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. I think some yeah. people have the have a bit of a wandering eye toward. Well, the people who have the wandering eye toward Wendell and Orlando are just stupid and should be taken seriously. Because <laughs> the, only, the only times that the Magic have have won this year have been without him, um, and you know any success they have is because of Paolo and Franz, and he put up good efficiency numbers last year on a team that lost basically every game. So I just don't really care about that. Um, I think the Lori one is a little more substantial, but you know, yeah, I mean, the, the jazz, jazz are winning like a mystery. Against, they are winning. Well, they're winning not really against winning, good though. teams. No, not, they lost four in a row and they, they, uh, they dipped under 500, like very recently for the first time all year. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, they had their, their mystery box ten and three start. They have since been nine and eighteen. So I think that's yeah. really more who they are. Um, and yeah, Lori the book might be out on them. Of, yeah, and and I think Lori is you know looking more like a good stats, bad team kind of guy at this point, which is fine. I think he's which I didn't think he was going to be that. Like he didn't look like he could even be that. Um, so I don't have like a wandering eye about those guys. I, I if anything, I have a wandering eye about. Franz because not that the Bulls would have necessarily taken him if they had that pick, but if they had, no, they would have, they would have found a way to screw it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I would like him on the Bulls. He's very good. Um, Yes. So there's, there's that little, you know, hypothetical wish cast game to play, but uh, the Wendell and Laurie stuff, I, uh, it's nothing to me. It's, it's, it's immaterial. Um, I, wanted to make a, a quick note about the whole reputation the team had last year. It couldn't beat good teams. I think that is actually a little bit circumstantial just because their back end of the schedule was like really loaded with the tough opponents. And that's when yeah. the team had fallen up had fallen apart. Um, when they faced better opponents while they were healthy and actually playing well, they did fine against them. Yeah, like they beat they beat the Nets, they beat the Mavericks. They they were beating most of who was in front of them. Uh, they couldn't beat the Heat, but they almost beat them twice. Uh, it wasn't like they were getting their asses kicked by them the way that the Celtics and the Bucks were killing them at the end. Of well, the they even year. beat the Buck. I mean, uh, they even beat the 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 um, the Celtics early in the season too. Like that was like the wake yes. up. That game was the wake up call uh, that the Celtics needed to get their shit together because uh, yes. the Bulls, uh, I think, came back from like a huge deficit and, and beat them. Um, yeah, I, I I will say I am encouraged by the fact that they are beating good teams this year. Um, it's just so frustrating that they can't beat bad teams, but. Um, the not being able to beat them last year was, it was really a lot about a lack of continuity, which you do see the continuity paying off this year. You, you see that they know what to do in a way that they did. They didn't last year. Um, it's just that they don't do it often enough. Um, yeah. And I, well, I, I think with the, 
with the I was going to say the, the I, um I I was going to say quickly it is a little bit goofy and unfortunate that like last year the schedule was backloaded with the tough teams and then this year the schedule is front loaded with the good teams and in both cases that that's when uh Lonzo I mean Lonzo's probably realistically going to be out all year but like at least when the schedule was being written it was like oh he'll probably be back like halfway through the year let's put all the good teams <laughs> in the front half of their schedule when they yeah. don't have their like third or fourth best player depending on like uh what you you know how you how you rank them but like uh he's pretty important for them and they just they're like yeah let's uh give the bulls every difficult team uh before you know the halfway point of the season like multiple times that sounds good yeah uh with the billy stuff you know the the buy-in is a real question i think it gets into territory where we just don't have what we need to make a real read on the situation. It's sure it's like behind the curtain stuff, but like just based on what we're seeing out on the front stage, like, yeah, it is a real concern. It's like, Oh my gosh, can this guy get people to buy in or his has his time in the NBA kind of, is it running out? Right. Cause most coaches are not lifetime guys, right? They have five to six, maybe seven years where they're like, able to get buy-in from players and just like a relevant coach, right? Like yeah. there aren't a lot of guys who are going to be a good coach for as long as a decade. Right. So it's reasonable to think like, okay, maybe Billy Donovan's like hold on. Cause a lot of it is cultural, right? It's like maybe his hold um, where this sport is at culturally is just wrong. Now it's expired. I don't know. You know, we're not there. Um, I think that, you know, we'd have to really have, have much better intel and this team has been kind of mafioso basically <laughs> since like uh Arturis took over and Arturis yeah, he, and Billy are, are very Omerta. much aligned. <laughs> they do yeah it's kind of I think that's part of what's what's up with the the national media having all these like really I think just totally disconnected takes about the team is that they just they just don't have anything right they're not nobody's talking to them from within the Bulls organization. So they just got to make stuff up. Yeah. Um, I mean, Woj is like basically the only one it seems like that Arturis really talks to. Um, and even then it's like extremely infrequent and only if it like, if a deal is like about to happen, um, he, he yeah. just, yeah, he plays things extremely close to the best. I mean, I will say the, the, um, and honestly, this probably came from, uh, from clutch, but like, it was leaked when uh, when the Bulls were interested in trading for Lonzo. Uh, when AK, like pretty soon after AK got the job, he wanted to trade for Lonzo, and the Pels were like, "No, we don't like your offer." And there, he was kind of mm-hmm. like, you could kind of tell that he was going to get his guy. That's why I've been kind of like thinking that that you know, in terms of projecting what's going to happen um, with the you know at the deadline or whatever if they make a move that's kind of like why i suggested purtle is just because like that is the only thing that we've actually heard where there seems to be some actual uh smoke to it um and uh you know i i think that thing things with the bulls like their interest doesn't seem to get leaked unless it's real uh and so um I think that there's probably real interest there, but it might be the case that they're just like, well, we're not just not going to give the Spurs anything for him. And we'll just go try to sign him in the off season and like basically port Vooch's money over to him. Um, 
maybe yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I like, I, I like Pirtle a lot. I think, I think he's a pretty awesome player. I, I'm kind of, I'm pretty attached to Vucevic. I actually think he's super underrated. Uh, I think that you're, you're a big Vooch guy. <laughs> I'm a big Vooch guy. I think that if he was able to play a little differently based on who's around him, people would think of him differently. Like we talked about Brooke Lopez in the um, preseason podcast we did where he was always considered kind of a bad defender, but now he has one of these big roving, you know, destroyers that he gets to play with and he can stay within a five square foot place and uh, he's a defensive player of the year candidate, which I think is ridiculous. I think Brooke Lopez is a great defender, but if you can't give, there's two better players on the starting lineup with the Bucks. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. people, people are getting a little carried away there. Um, well, it's like, uh, like Stephen Stephen Adams too. Like everybody thought Stephen Adams was washed. Now he gets to play with a destroyer in Jaron Jackson. Let it be known. Just, I never thought Stephen Jackson was washed when they made that when they made that trade, and everybody was like, "Why would they give up?" You know, Jonas for Stephen Adams. I was like, "Because Stephen Adams is still good and still young." <laughs> the national media was like just saying Stephen Adams like sucked all of a sudden, and I was like, "I don't really right. think so. I think he's just not no. like in the right role in New Orleans because." he's not a shooter and they have Zion who lives in the paint. So, and like also is a good rebounder. So they don't really need Steven Adams whole deal, but Memphis could use it. Like, I don't know. That was just, that was like one of the few times where I, I like was like completely had the opposite reaction uh, to like most of um, media and like Twitter or whatever. And I was just like, no, he's not washed. Like I, I don't, I think people are, really misunderstanding what's happening here. Um, Yeah. The immediate reactions to things can be kind of crazy. I remember over the summer when the the Nuggets sort of did their roster restructuring and yeah, I was going to say they're they're cheaping out, they're giving up. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're like getting better. Yeah. They went out and got (laughs) KCP who's been great for them. (laughs) And yeah. And Bruce Brown and they were investing further in bones and understanding that guys were coming back from injury. It's, like I feel like Will Barton's time had expired there a while ago, and yeah, Will Barton has been washed for like a couple of years. Like people didn't understand that seemingly when they made that move, but it's like he hasn't really been good for a little while now. And KCP is still like a very high level role player who was was just a big part of a title team like two or three years ago now. Like mm-hmm. it. And he hasn't really fallen off the way that Will Barton has fallen off. Uh, yeah, that mm-hmm. the analysis of that trade was like also wild to me. I was like, what are people talking about? Like, I like Monty Morris as much as the next guy, but like, he's also extremely tiny and probably can't really play in the playoffs. You know, like he just he was small. he was a stopgap. He was a stopgap for them while other guys were hurt. Yeah, I mean, the only bad part about Denver's offseason, honestly, was just that they. Uh, signed DeAndre Jordan <laughs> to be Jokic's backup. Yes. And like, he hasn't been able to play for to, like five years. Yeah. And they, they seem to not, they seem to be playing him less and less. And when they have good wins, it, he usually isn't playing at all. Yeah. They just play so. Zeke Naji behind uh, Jokic. Um, yeah. Like, they'll, they'll play, something a else out. Small, play a little bit of small bulk. Um, Conchar is not so bad. But what, we're getting way off topic here. Um, <laughs> yes. This is still a Bulls podcast. I, I say like you could talk to me on any given day about the Bulls and my takes could be completely different just because that's 
the way that the team has been. Yeah, they've made me feel insane. They have made me feel totally insane this year. Because, like, uh, after... After one of their more recent losses, I was just like, please just blow the team up. Like I not even like that I think it was realistic or like that that uh that they would actually do it because of all the things that you outlined about like ownership's no, appetite having for an, that. You're having an emotional reaction because that's what this team is doing to you. Yeah. They they make me feel nuts. <laughs> and, yeah. and then like I I had a pretty good feeling that they were probably gonna beat the Nets because it's just what they do. Like they they give you a a horrific letdown where they, they, uh, you know, um, and maybe this is, uh, I know you wanted to talk about this, so this is a good, uh, point to get to it. They, they choked away a 21 point lead against the Cavs, but I mean, they choked it away, but also it was taken away from them by the scoundrel, the rascal, the villain, Tony brothers. Yes. I, let's get to that in a second. I just want to say that, Going into that really tough two-game stretch against Cleveland, both of which they lost very closely. Um, they and if the last two-minute report is to believe, believe, they got screwed on both of them. On both of them. And they'd won five of six before that, and then they just beat the Nets. So overall, I think it's fair to say that over the last nine, ten games, they're playing well. This is the best they've really played all season. So yeah. I, think it's, I think it's pretty fair to just have like measured optimism about the team at this point, especially with the schedule letting up um, with Patrick Williams starting to be a little more confident. I'm not really feeling that bad about the team. I'll feel better about them if they can get it back to 500, but you know, realistically, like they should be able to stay in the play in turf. Yeah. And that that's, that's enough for now. We'll see what's going on later on in the season, but you're right. Tony brothers tribunal. Um, <laughs> so far as you and me, um, I think many other Bulls fans would be happy to to join us in the Tony Brothers Tribunal. It's got to be big because he's one of the most senior refs. He's not going to be pushed out of out of his job easily. Uh, <laughs> I think that Raptors fans also have a lot of problems with him. He's he's had a lot of you know, I know emotional... uh, f- for many years. Weird Celtics Twitter also uh, had a vendetta against Tony Brothers. Uh, so you know, th- three of the more online uh, and uh, and. Uh, <laughs> uh, vocal uh fan bases all have uh problems with with uh mr brothers um but you know, that, it's, it's that game that was insane it's not even that i think he's anti-bulls per se or anti any particular team it's just like lack of professionalism yeah um it's like weird egotistical joey crawford you know kicking tim duncan out of the game for laughing on the bench kind of stuff and he was, susp- I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Tony Brothers was suspended a game early this year for calling Spencer Didweedy a bitch-ass motherfucker during a game. Not making that up. That's what happened. Yeah, I mean, that's um, not professional, but also it's Spencer Dinwiddie, so like, I get it. It's possible that Spencer <laughs> was trying to sell him some Bitcoin or something. <laughs> and he said, get out of my face know. with it, you bitch-ass motherfucker. <laughs> it's completely possible. That's why that happened. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think I think it's fine to question any game he officiates at this point. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, he is I, like I don't... just below Scott Foster to me. Like Scott Foster legitimately belongs in prison. <laughs> and yeah. um but like Tony Brothers is right there for me in terms of just like when he's the especially when he's like the crew chief, because he's not always the crew chief, but when he's the crew chief, I'm just like, there's gonna be some fuck shit in this game. And it well, like, it's like 
it's so bad. I think the broader question is like, are refs okay? Because they have their <laughs> own, they have like their official account. It's like at NBA refs. And yeah, they were pitching at Stacy and Adam like two yes, days they ago. Had hashtag, hashtag walk it back Wednesday where they like put up a clip from a broadcast of Stacy and Adam sort of saying that there was a bad call. And then they're like, actually this was the right call. I'm like you just do not seem very neutral in this moment. Like, and you've cost us literally three games already by your own last two minute reports. It's it's, it's, it's nuts it's a, that they just, just a, tweeted that. Yeah, it's just a little bit loud when you're doing that after two consecutive L two N losses that you've given to the Bulls. And I'm not trying to make excuses for the Bulls and say that their record should be different than what it is. It is what it is. It's just it's almost a separate conversation. It's just like what the hell's going on here. And there's like the role of the referee has changed a lot as um, gambling has become more legalized. Like there's a lot more pressure for them to not necessarily get things right, but to like, you know, get certain outcomes. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm not saying that they are in the pocket of big gambling, but a referee has been before we know that factually. So I just like, it's just kind of odd. I don't like the odd behavior I don't really like the existence of the last two minute report, actually, because it doesn't seem to have any impact on accountability or. or No, it just exists to make us go insane and be like, we're down three losses because of calls at the end of the game. But which, like, to be fair, I would be doing anyway. But also, like, to have the league come out and come out and sanction it is just like. All right, now you've admitted that you've you've screwed me out of, and my team out of three uh, three wins, and now that doesn't make me feel better. It just makes me it just makes me more furious. I I don't really know what it accomplishes, um, and it also like I will say one thing. Um, I know that the refs, you know, I'm not going to do like the Adam Amin like apology thing for referees that you know they have a hard job. But one thing I will say is that. I blame Mark Cuban and Daryl Morey for this. The way that you have to referee games now, um, there's no like discretion in terms of like how much like of allowing a certain amount of contact. Like they, the reason I feel like that, uh, that I go insane is because certain star players and, you know, certainly not, it's weird because like we have a, 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 a example of this, like just dichotomy within the, within the team. Uh, DeMar gets a ton of touch calls because he gets guys up into the air and, you know, gets them off balance and he's, you know, has all the little tricks and Zach like gets smashed at the basket, like routinely and never gets a call. And, um, I just feel like there are certain types of contact that because people like Cuban and Moray sent tapes to the league like a bunch of years ago now and bitched and complained about how all these little things are, are fouls that now everything has to be called extremely to the letter of the law instead of to the spirit of it. And the last two minute report feels like an outgrowth of that. And it, it feels very, um, I don't want to just call anything that I dislike neoliberal, but it does feel like a like non-solution uh, 
to a problem that was created through technocratic means, but it like make it's supposed to make you feel better, but it's not actually. Um, and no, everybody I, feels I, worse. I think, that's for sure. Yeah, which I mean, that's I mean, that's definitely a condition of neoliberalism is that everyone is feeling worse all the time, despite how much progress we're being told we're we're making. I mean, it's a little more appropriate than I was hoping it would be, um, <laughs> but like. Yeah, those guys are so annoying, and the way that it, it it goes with the refereeing now, it just sucks. Like all these different, like I don't even like replay. It. I don't care. I honestly don't care if there's some wrong calls. Sometimes it was actually really refreshing to watch the World Cup and see them still really refereeing, mostly just the old way. Um, there are some. There's a. There's like a little bit of replay, but they're not like stopping the game to do it. No, it's the VAR um, on like offsides and things like that. Like they they have that, but like yeah. it's pretty limited. They're not like stopping play for ten minutes while you know these these fucking assholes stand around <laughs> and watch the replay over and over from a million angles. It's like this is entertainment, you know. Like I uh, our our guy uh, Dave Dufour like, loves to say that on uh, Nerdishiro and other podcasts that he's on, but like this is supposed to be entertainment still at the end of the day, and like. I'd rather be entertained and have the game have some flow than be certain that they got every single call right. Um, and, you know, it's funny that we're like saying all this while also complaining about Tony Brothers uh, really fucking up a lot of calls. But like, I don't know. I just think that. Well, it just seems like I should know who is he inconsistent. Is. Yeah, I don't want to know who Tony know Brothers who he is. is. Like I know who he is, and I know who Scott Foster is. I don't. I I could name some of the other refs, but I I couldn't tell you much about their tendencies or anything. Yeah, but no, like, those are the know, two. I just know their names. Those. Yeah. It's like I shouldn't. I shouldn't know who you are. Like not in that way, anyway. Right. Yeah. And like that's that's where the problem is for me. And the officiating in that Bulls game where Donovan Mitchell had yes seventy one points. Uh, 25 was, free throw had, attempts. 25. I hadn't. The last time I had seen something like that was when Kobe scored 60 in his final game. Yeah. And it just, it just really felt like the refs were like stage producers. They were making a certain romance come true as, as opposed to, you know, officiating a sport correctly, which in that particular instance, I didn't really care. It's whatever. That was an inconsequential game. And ultimately, so was this one. It's just one game on a Monday night in January. I'm just confused as to why that happened on a random man Monday night in January. Well, like what if, overcame Tony Brothers that made him feel like he had to astroturf this great performance, this great individualistic performance? Like, why? I just didn't understand that. I don't even think, again, I don't even think he's like anti bulls or anything. It was just like well, an it was odd, weird. like whim. Yeah. It was weird because like, the the Cavs could clearly felt like they were they weren't getting calls in the first half. I, you know, obviously biased perspective here. I thought the first half was called fairly neutrally. Um, maybe there was a slight Bulls advantage on, uh, you know, but not not really. Um, but Donovan Mitchell didn't get a call late in the first, or I mean, late in the the first half, like towards the end of the second quarter. And he like sarcastically clapped at uh, at Tony Brothers, and he said something to him, uh, and he got a technical. 
And then JB uh, Bickerstaff really worked. Uh, JB Bickerstaff like lit into the the referees for like and into Tony Brothers' ear specifically for like a minute straight. You could, like they showed a replay of it, and then literally after the halftime, it was completely different. Like you could, they basically made it illegal to play defense on Donovan Mitchell. He went to the foul oh, yeah. line twelve times in the third quarter. Twelve times in the was, third quarter. I think it was four. I think it was fourteen actually. <laughs> and they called consecutive lane violations on Caruso. Lane violations they never call, but then they didn't call the lane violation on Mitchell at the and, end of the regular. And he missed both free throws that when Caruso so, did a lane violation, which was actually an inside the arc violation. Mitchell couldn't even see him; he was behind him, and they yeah. called that like did not affect the play, did not affect him missing at all. And he got three chances to make one free throw. <laughs> just crazy. Um, just, just bizarre. Just yeah. strange. Like, I just don't, I like, don't know what I'm watching when stuff like that happens. It's just very unusual. Uh, obviously most people are not going to remember it that way. They're going to see his point total. And they're going to be like, wow, what a badass!" And they're going to watch the highlights and just see him nail a bunch of threes. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, the way that most people absorbed that, it was like Thursday night uh, or Monday night football was on and then the DeMar Hamlin thing happened. And so, you know, nobody was really, nobody, I forget who tweeted it, but somebody said that it was like perfectly in character for Donovan Mitchell to have like the highest scoring game since Kobe's 81 on uh, on a night when nobody (laughs) is going to give a shit about anything in the NBA because... Uh, of yeah. what happened to Damar Hamlin, um, which, yeah, yes. I mean, it was fairly perfect. And but- I want to make it clear that there's no point total that Donovan Mitchell can get to that would bestow him with, you know, a scintilla of honor. Like there's, <laughs> there is, there is none for him. Like, I, I, I seem to be the only person who remembers what he was like last year. Like, I don't know if anyone else alive has any recollection of that. Um, but I'm always part of my, affinity for Nikola Vucevic is I am uh, sympathetic to the plight of the modern big man. Um, the fan and most of national media um, expect them to be supermen and amazing at everything. There's just like, Oh, you can't uh, shoot threes and defend the rim and drip. Like, no, of course I can't do that. I'm seven feet tall. Yeah. If you suddenly shot up to as tall as even six, five, See what happens to your co- to your coordination in that in that yeah. instance. See how well your blood flows through your body, you idiot. Like, <laughs> give me a break. And Donovan Mitchell weaponizes this stupidity by just bailing on defense and allowing Gobert to flail and allowing everybody in the country to just watch Gobert and make fun of him and not pay any attention to Mitchell. Literally playing the worst defense I have ever seen in the playoffs on purpose. <laughs> And then, and then this year he has the gall to say that the reason he did that, or to imply the reason he did that, is because people in Utah are racist. Like, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah, like, Donovan. Grow I mean, up. Donovan Mitchell. I, I mean, I don't doubt that people in Utah are racist. Don't get me wrong. But I, I know I, that they are. That's proven. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, except, did, what does that have to do with you doing your job? Yeah, I think that he. Uh, yeah, I think Don- Donovan is like a a fairly savvy like media operator, and he, yes. I think it's it's not really a coincidence that 
he he put that out, you know, um, especially as things the worm was turning on uh, Gobert in Minnesota, because it just kind of like now that that history of him like basically not uh, not competing in in the playoffs for two straight years on defense at all. Uh, his well, his complete- dad his dad is a uh, the New York Mets director of player relations, so he certainly has some infrastructure here some frameworks for manipulating public perception but yeah he they've completely he's completely managed to people are like oh yeah gobert was always overrated because you know he got traded to for all this stuff to the timberwolves uh ignoring that the timberwolves also traded like a lot of their good players in that deal uh and that he and cat are a horrible fit and it wasn't good idea for them to do that in the first place um and so everybody's like well rudy's not all that look he's not having the same impact on a new team uh blah 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 he was always overrated he you know every and like i mean it's i think it's probably fair to say that he was fairly optimized in utah um and the roster was built oh, around very, him very optimized yeah no but, absolutely and i mean i think maybe he was a little overrated but like He's still extremely good, and and he was situation... extremely good in that system. And he would have been better yeah. if Donovan Mitchell like played defense and tried. Um, but yeah, he's he, he's managed yeah. to completely rewrite the the history, and people will now remember it as oh Donovan, you know Rudy's a bad vibes guy. Look at what he did to the team in in Minnesota. Donovan was right to to dislike him, and like I also don't doubt that Rudy's a bad vibes guy. I've heard some stories about Rudy that make me think, yeah, well, he's we've like all kind heard of an stories asshole. about uh, about Donovan Mitchell too. Like, yeah. I, like I'm not like gonna say that those things are not true now that he's in this perfect situation in Cleveland with an extended honeymoon. I'm still fully invested in the long tail when it comes to the Donovan Mitchell story, and history will bear me out. You know, like, yeah, like, <laughs> Again, there's there's absolutely nothing that he can do to change my mind. I don't care if they win the championship and he's the finals MVP. There will be some <laughs> deep fraud involved. There's no question about it. Like that's it. It's settled. It's already settled. You'll just you'll you'll all just have to find out later what I already know. <laughs> that's that's good stuff. I, I like that 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 he, 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 he the the future is already written for Donovan Mitchell, no matter what he does. It is. <laughs> it's settled. It's in the books. Like this, this is a man who will not be remembered honorably. <laughs> I, I at the very least, I I know for a fact that Donovan Mitchell will never be cool, <laughs> despite oh, having. No. An extremely cool oh, game. The, like the thing that's crazy about Donovan Mitchell is like post MJ, probably before uh, Joakim Noah entered my life. Um, I think Dwayne Wade was probably my favorite player. Um, I loved him, even though he ripped my heart out uh, as a Bulls fan many times. Um, and I just, you know, was I loved him at Marquette. I, you know, when he went to the heat, I, I like adopted them as my, my second team for a little while, because I was just like, I just love watching this guy. Um, and Donovan Mitchell is probably like, in terms of the way he moves and plays the closest thing to uh, Wade that I've seen, but like just with none of the, nothing about what made Wade cool. Like he just doesn't have that at all. He just drips with like, 
corniness to me. <laughs> um, corniness, and at times you can see like you can see like simmering resentment, um, <laughs> which I think like fuels him and makes him a better player. Um, yeah, like you can tell that he plays with a lot of hate in his heart, um, <laughs> and but that has that has made many players good in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, he, like, Michael Jordan so hard famously. to like. Be, <laughs> He's all he, he's not consistent in what he's going for. Like he, sometimes he's going for like cool as a cucumber, Damian Lillard, you know, small market man against the world, lone man gunner kind of thing. Like you mm-hmm. know, John Wayne to John Wayne, tragic John Wayne to a true Hooper kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes he's going for that, but then other times he's like he's going for like Nickelodeon for the family, you know, cornball superstar. Um, and I don't, he's not achieving, he achieves the latter better. Um, but in all cases, it's just like, this guy's a fraud. Like everything he does with his body language and his speech is just like so affected and wrong. And I like, I just know that that's not who he is in either case. Like he just, <laughs> he just seems so like f- fake and upsetting. I don't know. I, I really don't like him. And like, there's a lot of really a lot fake of, people. He does have a lot NBA of, um, too of this, the same things that I, I find false and grating about um, Dame, which is kind of funny because his game is also kind of similar to Dame's. Like he, he's very good yes. at like uh, dribble, pull up three pointers and uh, has a lot of bravado in terms of like when to shoot those. Um, I don't think he quite has Dame's knack for like hitting shots um, late. Uh, I mean, he did it against the bulls just the other night. So maybe, maybe that's a, a thing that's coming, but I just, there's so much, like cornball to Dame and I Donovan has that thing like even more so like I think the 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 uh most Donovan Mitchell thing uh and the the sort of um key the key to like understanding who Donovan Mitchell is as a person as a guy happened in his rookie year when he uh wore this this the sweatshirt with the definition of rookie on it because he was salty that Ben Simmons won rookie of the year over him. It was just like, yes, not even that he had, that he was going to everybody. Yeah. That he he knew everybody. He knew and everybody knew because Ben Simmons was better than him. He was a better player. Yeah. I mean, he passed him. It wasn't even a question. He passed him and and good for him, but like he was unquestionably a better player than him. And like, which I have heard a lot of people try to retrofit that debate because, you know, they were on the Donovan Mitchell side at the time or whatever. And Ben Simmons has turned into like one of the weirdest players ever. Yeah. Like, well, people do the same thing with Brandon Ingram and Ben Simmons too. Like they're like, well, I was always on Brandon Ingram over. No, that's ridiculous. Ben Simmons led a 15 game winning streak. (laughs) Yeah. He he led a 15 game winning streak as a rookie. He was awesome. Yeah. He's since become again, one of the weirdest players ever. So He's really not that anymore, but I, let's not pretend like that wasn't what it was. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. People's memories are very subject to, uh, to manipulation, but I, like, it's, but I, I don't know. I, the, the, um, collective amnesia of the national media, uh, it, it's it's very strange and like i feel like it sometimes i feel like it infects me but then i'm like wait a minute no i remember that i remember how that actually happened it's it's well yeah it's, it's not that it actually is, 
it drives me nuts with the the way that Levine is discussed right now in these hypothetical trade scenarios where it's like, well, maybe we should give him up for like Emmanuel quickly and Evan Fournier. And I'm like, wait a second, what? Like, you know that this guy was like basically 50, almost 50, 40, 90, like both of the last two seasons at volume, like 27 points per game or something. Yeah. Like, are you, like we're talking about a top 10 to 15 offensive player in the league when he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He seems to be getting back to it. Yeah. And you want me to take Evan Fournier's contract? What are we doing here? Like, do you <laughs> not remember? You really don't remember. Like, it's it kind of drives me nuts. And I know that, yeah. you know. I think a lot of people were just you know, pretty out on Zach for, and I mean, I was one of them. I was just like, the, how bad he has been, he had been playing in the clutch uh, earlier in the season. And I mean, he still takes really stupid shots in the clutch, but like, he's just such an aggravating player uh, to watch. And like, I was also just like the way he reacted to being benched when he was playing terribly um, against, I think it was Orlando. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't like that either, but you know, I was just like, uh, kind of just like, let's just, you know, move on from the Levine era. But even if you're going to do that, like y- the, the Knicks would have to send a boatload of picks for that to be worthwhile. And then like, and then we're back to the, discussion and, a really, that good, we were and a really good player. Yeah. Then we're back to the discussion that we were having before of like the, Ownership doesn't have appetite for that. So, like, who? Wh- what no. are you talking about? Like, it's fine, I guess, to engage in hypotheticals. I, I mean, I use the trade machine as much as anybody, but like, you, you should, you should use it with, or at least put out the things that you're, um, you're wish casting about with the knowledge that like only some of these are even remotely realistic. Like my, my, like after I was talking to Jason on cash considerations the other day, um. I was saying I think the Bulls need, you know, if they're going to do a roster shakeup, um, which maybe they don't need to, because to your point, over the last like nine games, they've been pretty good. Um, yeah. But like, now if they not, did, now is not the time. Yeah, if, if they did want to do that, like, uh, I do think one thing they they need, regardless of uh, of you know anything else, is I do think they need a movement shooter because um, they just yeah. They, they, uh, but they, because no I don't know how they get one, right? Like, and uh, so th- that's why I, the deal that I, I kind of jumped up was um, was Pirtle and uh, Doug McDermott for uh, and, and maybe the Portland pick. I don't even know if you would need to do that, but for Vooch basically and Marco, because like, please, can we just get Marco off the team? Like, what what is? Yeah. Why is he still here? <laughs> like, he doesn't play. Yeah. Billy has comprehensively decided that Marco can't play for him. Um, and so he's just a G League player that has a guaranteed NBA contract. It doesn't make any sense. Send him somewhere else. Well, he won't. It'll expire and then he'll never get another. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, in theory, um, I think they need like a rim protector and and a movement shooter if they're going to make any sort of like shake it up. And like, that's the only kind of thing I could see ownership having appetite for, because it's not like a change in um, goals. It's not a, a change right. of direction. It's just a like, we think we can accomplish the direction we've set out better this way than what we've been doing. But even that, I don't yeah. like, I don't think that they're necessarily there Anyway, I think if they, you know, they could be like seven or eight of their last nine if the referees didn't <laughs> screw up last minute calls. Yeah. Or if they just played like 3% better. Like, yeah, they and again, they've they've been winning more often than they've been losing. Um, it doesn't feel like that because the losses have been such gut punches. But and they lose they, to teams they, that they should 
you would you feel like they should beat yeah. easily. Well, that's and, one of the that's a gut punch. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, that's the crazy would... making nature of this team. <laughs> yeah, but they've been playing pretty well. Um, they dug themselves too big of a hole, um, but they've been playing pretty well. And thankfully, the East is not that good past the top five teams. Yeah, even um, even uh, I would three say three of the whom top... we beat. Yeah, I was <laughs> three say of whom even we're like almost the... undefeated against. Yeah, the I was going to say even the top teams like are incredibly beatable on any given night. That's why I'm like, I'm still kind of like, well, they could go on a run here at any point because if they just start taking care of the teams that they need to take care of, they can beat any of these other teams on any given night. Yes. Like, um... Yeah, it's interesting. Like we actually match up really well with the Bucks in the Celtics. Um. And the yeah, Nets. I think that the because Bucks the are kind have of. A true center. I think the Bucks are kind of. I, I've said this in some group chats, and p- people push back on it. I think they're a little bit cooked this year. I just, I just don't think they're very. I'm good. leaning that way, just because um, the Middleton thing seems bad. Um, yeah, he I, seems I, like I he don't... might just be done. Like he's been, like he hasn't done, really played. But... Like done is like a high level playoff. Well. You know, like well, I think I just he think might be this okay. Year, I just think this year it's hard to see the turnaround happening that quickly. I don't know about you know his the rest of his career. Like, well, it's, it's, it's yeah. I mean, he's not that old. So, but like, he just. No. But for this year, yeah. I mean, he might be just not that useful this year. Um, yes. And then, like, that's one more year of Giannis's prime lost. That's one more year of uh, Drew's like late prime, um, kind of going away, and like the rest, of, like the guys around their big three besides Brooke are kind of like, they're not very good. You know, they just, they don't have a lot of depth. Um, Like Bobby's fine. Connaughton's like, whatever. Grayson Allen, he could shoot, but like teams hunt the crap out of him on defense. Javon Carter, eh, whatever. Like, I just don't think that roster's very good. And like, they don't, they can't score this year. Like Giannis has had to have the ball like in trying to create stuff more than ever. And he's not like a play finisher the way that he should be because they don't have Middleton or when he does play, he's not very good. And they, they just, I don't know. They just don't seem like they have it. Maybe getting English, well, I think you're uh, right. maybe getting jingles back will, will make a difference in terms of like getting the ball out of Giannis's hands a little bit more. I'm shocked that he's back as quickly as he is and like seems okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll see, but I just they have not impressed me at all. No, I just I just think it's just the Middleton thing. If he's good again, then they're good again. If he's not, they have a pretty pretty obvious ceiling. Good news. We just got good news. Not. I mean, you never want to. Inch, this is a minor injury, so it's not that inappropriate of me to say it's good news. But in uh, Joel Embiid, it's not playing tomorrow night against the Bulls. Well, that's helpful because the Bulls <laughs> still have not beaten Joel Embiid in his career. Uh, so a maybe statistic the, which I always offer us, uh, you know, a little bit. Yes, of they were tanking for most of his career. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not tanking. I wish they had tanked. They were bad. <laughs> they just <laughs> they, sucked. They, they were poorly run. <laughs> yes, he. I. I am not impressed with the amount of times he has beaten Wendell Carter. Uh, just, <laughs> it just doesn't. Just doesn't do much for me. Um, yes. but I mean, they have. They have no answer for him as currently constituted. But yeah, a few teams do. Um, so that makes the game a lot more winnable. They're still 
a formidable team. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, they still got Harden. Huge. I think he's healthy. I think Maxi is. Maxi just came back recently, and he's always, you know, uh, a threat to explode offensively. Um, and you know, freaking Corkmaz. Uh, routinely turns into to Stephen Curry against the Bulls, so maybe they'll they'll dust him off and roll him out there for some minutes, and he'll hit like six threes on us because that's just generally how it goes when when the Bulls play the the Sixers. But maybe not this time. Maybe it'll be yeah, different this time. I also like I've made fun of Doc Rivers and criticized him a lot over the years, but one great quality he has as a coach is he's he's good when like his chips are down in when he doesn't have his guys. <laughs> He, yeah, he he's good at getting the like role players genius. to like play hard. Yeah, he can't really get buy-in from superstars, which is like the hardest part of coaching. And again, yeah. that's like when it comes going back to Billy, it's like, you know, if he can't do that, I'm just like, all right, well, who who does? <laughs> like, who really does? You know, like, you, like most of these superstars are going to play the way they want to play. And um, the guys yeah. who can really get them in line, they have had their job for a very long time and have total organizational backing. Yeah. I mean, that's like the luckiest thing that, that Steve Kerr has had with, with Stephen Curry is just that like Steph is like, yeah, whatever you want me to do. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, he's just the most coachable player of his talent level that we've probably ever seen. Yeah. It's like maybe Tim Duncan. Yeah. I was going to say him, it's him and Duncan. And even Duncan is like, uh, I don't know. I mean, they're very different talents, uh, but like, yes, the, Steph is like, uh, oh, you want me to play basically like a role player who just runs around without the ball all the time? Yeah. All right, <laughs> fine. I'll just yeah. have the best cardio of all time and never yes. get tired uh, sprinting around the court like, um, you know, 40 minutes a night. It's fine. It's cool. I'll, that, that's what I'll, uh, I can handle that. Uh, <laughs> um, he is uh Oh, that's one other thing I wanted to say. Uh, And I mentioned it on cash considerations, but like the Warriors talk just reminded me of it. One of the other things I have frustrations I have with the Bulls offense is like Zach is an excellent shooter, especially off the catch. And they do not um, utilize him in a lot of like off ball stuff when he doesn't have the ball. And like that usually means DeMar has it. They kind of just have him stand around a lot. Um, And like some of that is, probably on Zach, but like also you've like, I think it's on DeMar too. Um, but like, I just don't understand, uh, why they're not doing more of like what the Kings have been doing with Kevin Herter, um, for Zach, because Zach is every bit the shooter that like pretty much anybody else in the league is like short of Steph. And they've been running a lot of like the Steph and clay actions, like the split cuts and, um, and you know the post splits with Herder in Sacramento. Like uh, Mike Brown just took that stuff from his time as an assistant in Golden State and was like, "I'm going to use this." Um, and their offense is great, and they run all of their sets with like zip. You know, like the guys are moving and screening hard. And when you watch like the Bulls' offense, uh, there's a lot of like standing around. There's a lot of walking when guys are like on the weak side of the court and we're not on the ball side, there's a lot of like light jogging and like, not really like there's no zip. And I'm just like, like, 
why are we not running our sets with to like with a little bit more verve so that teams actually have to like think more on defense, you know? And like again, get Zach like an extra he shoots like I think seven or eight threes a game. I would like to see that up like three or four more a game and I would like them to all be catch and shoot shots off of like some kind of off you know off ball movement. Uh I just think that that would like one, it would help the Bulls with their crappy three-point rate, but I think it would also just like uh, make the defense think more about like where they send help from to try to double Demar, and just like it would just make everything a little bit easier. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> I don't think Billy Donovan is unaware of anything you're saying. Um, it's just no, for sure. Can can you get them to do it? Um, I think with the Kings example you mentioned, I think that there's it's a particularly good situation there right now, um, just in terms of a lot of guys who felt discounted coming together with this underdog ethos, Mike Brown just being a great vibes guy and having what could be an entire season of honeymoon vibes. Yeah, we'll I mean, like that, the, the, the underestimated guys... Um, like coming together and kind of all meshing. We, I mean, that's we kind of had that last year. I was going to say that was the bulls last year until injuries kind of destroyed it. <laughs> yeah. And so this is where it gets hard. And, and this is where, you know, that, that whole thing that the front office says continuity, this is where it really starts to get built. And I think that a lot of what they're going through this year could end up being really productive and good for them in the long run, even though it completely sucks to go through <laughs> as a fan in the short term. Um, but I mean, I think that you're seeing some clear lessons and some clear per productivity coming out of it. Um, if they continue to have these frustrating losses throughout the rest of the season, you know, I'll certainly change my tune on that. And even, even then I, I could believe that they would come back next year and have largely the same team with maybe a healthy Lonzo. And I would feel fine about it. Um, even if they like kind of frustrate in the same way and only get like 36 wins and are out of the plane and they just kept it all together. Like I know that most fans would lose their minds about that and say that it was horrible. I wouldn't really think it was that bad. Um, I would just so much rather do that than start over or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. Is None of this is like as linear as people want it to be. Yeah. I think the thing that would be frustrating about missing the play in or, or, you know, even being in the play and then falling back into the, um, the lottery by, you know, losing out of the play in is just that like the timing of it has worked out so that we would give up two lottery picks to the, to the magic, which is like, I know is the sunk cost fallacy, but it's just like, but what if it I mean, didn't though? What if we got the number, what if we got lucky and got the number four pick? Like, I mean, that would be pretty sick, right? Like that's, and that's the, the, the sort of the upside, the upside is like, if the Bulls bring like, back David Stern, man, he would rig it for us. <laughs> Absolutely. He'd be um, like, we can't have Vic. He'd be like, dude, we can't have Victor Wembanyama going to one of these small ass cities. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, he's got to go to Chicago, baby. Dude, can you imagine Victor in, in Chicago? Like, God, that would be so cool. <laughs> or even if know, we got, I, even if we just got lucky and got Scoot, it would be like, uh, right. it, it would just be like, Having a great, thing, they're like, going to get lucky athletic. at some point. I mean, like, I don't think they're hopefully. about to get lucky this summer or anything like that. But like, everybody gets lucky at some point. Um, like, look at the Pelicans. 
You think that they're in a good situation because they like did everything right? Like, no, they got lucky as hell. No, I like, was hammering David Griffin for like two years, and then all of a sudden he uh, Zion got healthy and he nailed he like nailed every draft pick for like two drafts straight and had like multiple picks to to do that with, and then like all of a sudden he had all this young talent <laughs> around Zion, uh, and you know none Brandon of, none Ingram of this is made a any leap. good for them. If they don't win the lottery and get the number one pick in the Zion draft, they're they're screwed. None yeah. of this is going well. No. Like, they trade they trade Anthony Davis for the guys that they got, and that's it. And they're just a perpetually mediocre team. Brandon Ingram probably, you know, gets good no matter what, because he's that kind of guy, but he probably gets traded because he doesn't want to be there. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, I mean, I think that I think that, that like, part of it, like it, having Zion around just to like uh make it so that that's a, a desirable place for your second star that you already got the, to stay. Where are the cat? Where are the calves? Where are the calves right now? If they don't get super lucky on the Mobley thing. Yeah. If the Rockets don't f- fuck up drafting Mobley and take Jalen green who, uh, yeah. But even then it's not like, I don't think like the calves made like a genius call drafting Evan Mobley. He was just like the, no, he was consensus. He was consensus at three. I think a lot of people were surprised that he fell to three. Cause like, I thought he was like at least, you know, at worst the second best prospect in that draft. I kind of thought he was the best one, but I hadn't watched enough college basketball. But like I watched literally like early in the season that year, I watched maybe like five minutes of highlights of Evan Mobley. And I was like, oh, he's Kevin Garnett. Like he moves like more fluidly at that size than like anybody I've seen since Kevin Garnett. (laughs) And like, he's also very skinny. Yeah. You can see it right away if you if you watch basketball because I don't watch college at all. And I watched his first few games with the Cavs, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> this guy looks like he's been playing for ten years." Yeah, um, but uh, like, I just it just frustrates me when people act as if these teams that are doing really well are are that way because of this genius plan that they enacted. When they no, it's mostly luck. It's mostly well, luck, why, and then that's why act, tanking is kind like of the dumb, teams, right? Because like, it is why it's dumb. Yes, like you can get lucky in other ways, like the bulls look like they were going to be lucky until they were not lucky with the Lonzo injury when it was just like, Oh, they just had like this great one great free agency period. And they put together this team that like just sort of works. And then, <laughs> then the, the, the sort of skeleton key of the whole roster, uh, his knee went turned to dust and it all just kind of fell apart. But it's like for like, 60 games or so it like kind of looked like they they got incredibly lucky yeah and they'll get lucky again at some point it might not be this season it might not even be soon um but that's mostly what we're hoping for when we watch sports and i i just it kind of drives me nuts when people pretend like it's something else and we're not just trying to you know get some cheap thrills out of this and uh, i will say do, like trying hard, to hard, uh, like wall wall street level analysis like give me a break <laughs> yes the the uh sort of um and you know i'm a i do a lot of like stat stuff because i i enjoy it but also i i do recognize that it is uh, part of a larger project that is um i think does uh i don't know kind of misses it just misses the point yeah it's I I enjoy it, but like also I recognize that like it's it, my enjoyment of that is almost kind of its own separate thing, um, because like I enjoy the two 
largely distinct from one another. Like I like trying to figure out better ways to measure that stuff, but also like, that's not what makes me enjoy watching basketball. Like I like watching, uh, Zach Levine do a cool dunk or, uh, you know, Nikola Jokic throw a cool pass, like, and things that help me to understand just how rare that is are fun. Um, but like, I don't know, I can also just use my eyes and be like, holy shit, (laughs) you know, that you don't see that very often. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think, um, to kind of like, I don't know, put an optimistic, uh, bow on it. I think that, um, during the years that the Bulls were tanking, um, and not even intentionally, they were just bad and dumb. <laughs> they they didn't beat any good teams, really. <laughs> you know, they were just bad. They just were really poorly run. They didn't really. They weren't. You never felt like they were building anything with their young guys because it didn't seem like they ever really developed. Uh, everybody could tell that Jim Boylan was a buffoon. Um, so, you know, that wasn't going anywhere and it just felt like there was no path to, to hope. Um, this team is maddening, uh, this year, uh, in a lot of ways, but I do feel things watching them. Whereas like with the boiling bulls, um, in that whole like final era of the, the gar, uh, packs sort of leadership, I felt, uh, nothing. I just felt like this this team is hopeless. This organization is hopeless and nothing is going to get better until they swap these guys out. Um, and I don't totally feel that way right now. I just feel like you guys are, you, you guys, there's something there. You can, you can be, you know, a, you can be a playoff team and you can win a lot more of these games that you're, you're blowing and you match up pretty well with a lot of the best teams because you keep beating them. So it's just like, just th- that's the aggravation of it. I feel a little bit like um, uh, Sam uh, from weird Celtics, Twitter, Sam Sheehan. Uh, he's also co-host of uh, the, the, you know, ball podcast. Um, he last year, I remember I was in a, a group chat with him and he was like going crazy at the start of the year because uh, the Celtics were, you know, terrible and he was just like i i know that they're better than this i've seen it i know it i i just i can't like he's like i'm not gonna give up on them they're they're he was like they're they're going to put it together and i don't think that the bulls have that kind of run in them um but i know they're better than this and i just you know they have like to your point they've been playing much better the last nine games or so so maybe it's already started and we just haven't really fully realized it yet um, or maybe yeah, they'll lose to a bunch started. of bad teams and, and we'll, we'll just be like, all right, this, this season is over, but yeah. at, at least there's, there's stakes, there's stakes, I think. And that's what we watch sports for. And when your team has no stakes and you don't feel like there's progress or there's any hope of progress, which is where the bulls were before. That's like, that's like hell. You know, that's NBA hell. Yeah. People talk about the treadmill of mediocrity. No, where the Bulls were was hell. Yeah, and I, yeah, and to bring it back to like my friends who I consider normal people, um, who you know, they're not they're not on NBA Twitter. <laughs> like they they don't even really know. They don't have our brain worms, yeah. <laughs> no, they don't have our brain worms. Like that's kind of my litmus. It's like, do they care? And you know, right now they do. And again, it's like you know, they can't care about the Bears because 
they're not going to watch the Bears lose 15 times just to like watch Justin Fields develop. That's sicko shit. Like it's not normal. <laughs> and, like, and to expect people to and to expect people to want that and to be all in on that. That's like that's insane. That's like yeah. men, that's like mental it's mental illness. Yeah. Um, which Bears fans broadly have, so they're in on that. But like, <laughs> you know, and like, Sixers fans, I mean that was the process, right? And I think that I think the process I mean, also ruined a lot of like national media's brains in terms of like what fans will tolerate or what they'll accept because uh most fans will not tolerate that philly fans are such sickos that they just like bought totally into it and uh just were they just they because it made them villains to to be so uh outright about about tanking they just they reveled in it because it was philly against the world and they love that that's like they love that more than anything but most fans just are like, this blows. I hate this. I don't want to watch this. And that's how I felt about the Bulls for like four years. And now I am still watching them. They are probably not great for my mental health, but like there's stakes. There's, there's things to, um, to care about that aren't like, oh, this, you know, uh, undrafted free agent that we signed is uh you know showing signs that he might one day be an nba starter it's like david nawaba yeah yes god i i mean shout out to david nawaba i i I still have a lot of love in my heart for him but like that was it was grim it was grim that that like being like oh man david nawaba maybe he's a guy (laughs) like no he's not no, but David Nwaba is not a guy. These are the if he things was a guy, can... he'd be in the league right now. Yeah, these are the things you convince yourself of when you have no hope. And uh, Shaq, I have hope. Shaq Harrison. Shaq Harrison, Antonio Blakeney. Like, yes, you know, God, there were so many of just, them. Just know. Just know. Like, it isn't It isn't a thing. If it was, they'd be winning. They'd be good. Like, yeah. It isn't complicated, you know? Yeah. Um, and now, like... Ugh, I can't. I have a whole tangent in me about this. I will not get into it. But um, I, I I'll briefly say that a lot of national media, and I don't blame them for this because the actually good members of national media uh, watch it so much basketball. Yeah, uh, and they watch so many teams that they develop very weird taste as a result. <laughs> yeah. The same way, like the same way that I have like really weird taste in beer. Like I really like an Imperial sour with a coconut in it or something like that's weird. I don't, (laughs) I'm not going to expect most people to like that or to drink that. And if I thought that I could start a bar that just sold that outside of like, you know, a hip urban neighborhood, like I'd be out of my mind. Right. (laughs) Um, But like a lot of national media becomes that way where they're like, and the magic have become a good team to watch now because Paolo and Franz are, really good and they have exciting young role players but like when people were like losing their minds like oh my god bull bull at the point guard and it's like bro they've lost like nine games in a row like, <laughs> you need to like you need to stop pretending this is cool like i'm sure it is to you because again you're a total perverted basketball sicko but like that's just it just is not the way to go like and i, w- I would much rather have a team where you have some productive players with obvious flaws, but like you can get the city of Chicago excited about them. You can get the stadium loud in April. Like, come on, that's fun. That's what I want. And yeah, you want to bookend it. You want a team that's built for, for the casuals. Like at the end of the day, you you want the casuals there. Cause you know what, without the casuals, 
the stadium's not rocking. It's just not. And that's the most, not even the stadium, but also like the bar for the bar yeah. to be rocking during a Bulls game is really fun. Like last year, I don't watch a ton of Bulls games at the bar, but every time I did, it was so fun. There's just like so many people you don't know sitting at the bar, hollering at the screen with you. Like you're giving high fives to strangers. Like that's awesome. That's the good stuff. I love that. It's the good stuff. And to bookend this, I remember the first time I came on this pod in its earlier days, I said what my expectations were, what I want to see from this team, which they have yet to produce, is an exciting playoff series, whether we win it or not. Like my most fun memories as a Bulls fan post Jordan are the series is the series they lost against the Celtics in 2009 because it was an incredible series. So if this team can produce anything close to that, I will have considered it a success. And that's completely yeah. on the table right now. Like I think they could definitely give a really tough run to one of the better teams in the league in a seven game series. I don't think I think most of the teams that I would say they wouldn't be able to do that against are actually in the West. So I'm not like super concerned. Yeah, no, that. I mean they've like, shown that they can play with any of the top 4 teams in the or uh, or even really the top five teams. I mean, they're I think they're zero and three against the Cavs. But as we mentioned, uh, they should be two and one against the Cavs uh, <laughs> because yeah. the team. Uh, the thing I would really not want to see is like if the Bulls somehow had to go against the Warriors. Like that would be brutal. I would not want to watch that. Like that <laughs> that would be yeah. awful. <laughs> like, yeah, that would. But I they don't have to do that. So yeah, they would not. Have, there's no oh, you know, uh, barring like some absolutely insane unforeseen circumstance uh that i could literally could not even imagine there's no way that they're going to be playing the warriors in the playoffs which would mean that they are in the finals this team is not going to the finals but yeah at that that point i will happily take an ass whooping from the warriors (laughs) exactly we'd be so happy that it wouldn't matter (laughs) Uh, yeah i I don't know i'm not even sure if i would watch (laughs) yeah Yeah, i'd be like what got what i needed this year Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, they're, I, I think it's on the table that all of the teams that they, that are likely first round opponents. So the top half of the, cause they're not going to get into, you know, the home court advantage side of the playoff bracket. So any of those four teams, they've played them pretty well, you know? Um, so they, could they, could they have a competitive six or seven game series? I think so. Uh, they just have to get there. Um, and I think there's yeah. plenty of reason over the last few games to think that they, they could turn the ship around, especially because nobody yeah. else is really pulling away. And I do want to note as a final thought that anybody who refutes what it is that I said that I want from sports and from this team has a capitalist brain sickness. You have to appreciate things that are between oblivion and monopoly. The middle is an okay place to be. It's actually a really fun place to be. Um, And I like it here. I don't have a problem with it. Part of it might be that I watched the greatest team of all time growing up. So I'm kind of full up and my belly's like still feel that in my belly a little bit as a fan. Yeah. Um, But I don't even really think that's the truth. I just want to enjoy some exciting games and it's okay if we don't win a championship or really have even any chance at it because the thing is too, I'm just going to enjoy, I'm going to enjoy basketball in general, no matter what. Um, Yeah. So are you supposed to be miserable if you're like 
one of the 29 teams that doesn't win the championship every year. Like that's just not a sustainable way to enjoy your sport. Like uh, to live your life. It's like, yeah. Give me a break. You got to enjoy the journey in life. And uh, I think that that's what we're doing. We now have an enjoyable journey. I felt yeah. nothing from Thibodeau's firing to Donovan's hiring. I felt nothing. Yeah. I felt nothing it, for this team. It, it felt, I felt either between nothing and just horrible. <laughs> and I don't always feel horrible with yeah. this team. They give, they've given me many moments of joy already. Uh, most of the first three months of uh, last season were a really fun ride. This season has had a lot of down moments, but also they've beaten a bunch of teams that I was like, there's no way. And, you know, those games were fun watching them play games against teams that you think they have no business of beating and then watching them beat them and watching the fans of other teams get mad about that. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's why we watch. Yeah, I, I've de- there's definitely been victories this season and last season where I was excited enough about them that it's like, oh, man, I'm having I'm have trouble sleeping tonight. You know? Yeah. Going to start getting just, some that ideas. Just, <laughs> that just that just didn't. That just didn't happen for several years, and it's happening again. Not as often as I wanted to, but often enough, it's pretty yeah. fun. Yeah, I think they're at a at a, at a pivot point here with the season. I think if they can go on a run here, they have a, a shot to do what we we said we would like to see, which is to to have a, a fun competitive first round series. Um, maybe not win it, but I, you know, make make a, a favorite sweat. Um, I did really enjoy that feeling last year, which started to go away at about this time last year of just like being in good hands, which they have not given us at all this year. No, Um, (laughs) it's a roller coaster. But like for those three months or whatever, it was like you turn them on. It was like, yeah, they're going to win. Like they get off to a good start. They're up by like 11 in the first quarter. You're like, yeah, this is a win. And you just get to sit back and enjoy that. Like, yeah, you just let it wash over you. Yeah, I would like to experience that at least like for a two week period or something this season. That would be nice, but oh, it'll just be cardiac arrest until that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we probably uh, talked for for a long enough time on on the Bulls and our uh, feelings about them. But this was good. I think I'm going to try to do a few more of these. Uh, instead of just like you know, <laughs> waiting another half season before I talk about the the team again, uh, I appreciate you giving me the uh, the nudge to do this, um, and uh, oh, yeah. appreciate you coming on as always. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. All right, bye everybody.